Welcome to MRCS on the Move. Bowels, bones, and backseat vibers. I'm your host, Naomi, but this is the podcast where you do the talking. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Bowels, Bones, and Backseat Vivers. It's just me today, no special guests, and we are going to do, well, it's probably going to turn out to be quite a short episode on diverticular disease, but not an unimportant topic for sure. Before I get started with that, though, I'd like to ask a favour. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear some feedback, how you think things can be improved, what you like about the episodes. So there's a couple of ways you could do that. Uh, If you do it via our Twitter account um, or via Instagram, you can also leave just discovered a voice note on the anchor website i know most of you listen to this via spotify or apple podcast but the anchor website does give you the option to leave feedback so anyway cracking on diverticular disease so what is a diverticulum So a diverticulum is an abnormal outpouching of a hollow viscous into the surrounding tissue. Simply. (laughs) What is meant by a true diverticulum? So a true diverticulum involves all the layers of the, the wall of the viscous that you're talking about. And so in contrast, a false diverticulum does not involve all the layers. So an example would be an esophageal false diverticular only include the mucosa or the submucosa. Okay, can you give me some examples of where they are found? Okay, so I've got four examples. Bowel, which is obviously the one we're going to talk about today. So bowel, you've got your diverticular disease and it's most commonly found in the sigmoid. Can anyone guess what percentage is found in the sigmoid? So it's 45%, but it can occur sort of throughout the whole bowel really. So do be wary, you know, when you've got patients with right iliophos pain, slightly older generation, that could be diverticular as as one of your differentials to appendicitis. Second, I've got Meckel's for diverticulum. So this is found, this is a rule of twos, isn't it? Can you or anyone say the rule of twos? I sort of, when I leave these gaps, I sometimes think about when you're in lectures and awkwardly no one answers for ages. I sort of constantly feel like that making this podcast. (laughs) I really hope you're answering out there somewhere. Okay, so the rule of twos is 2% of the population have them. They are about two inches in length. They are usually located two feet 
from the ileus equal valve and they usually present before the age of two. Okay, so then our next diverticular, our bladder diverticular, my favourite diverticular, because I like urology. Now these are generally associated with bladder outflow obstruction and that's due to the increased pressure against the bladder wall. Um, they can actually be really surprisingly large and if you are urology inclined you might be interested to note that it's very important to look, make sure you've looked in all of these with your flexible cystoscopy say for someone presenting with hematuria because they can um, hide little bladder cancers within the diverticulum so very important to remember that and wiggle your way into them which is quite satisfying actually when you get all the way in <laughs> Um, but yeah, so and then the last one is your pharyngeal pouch and that comes through two inferior constrictor muscles. So, so where exactly in the bowel wall do they occur and what does this mean clinically? So they are the result of high intraluminal pressure causes outpouting at the weakest points in the bowel wall and this is at the junctions of the triangle muscle sheets where the mesenteric blood vessels penetrate okay so they're the points you find them at the points where the mesenteric vessels penetrate and this is what results in diverticular bleeds so there's a few terminologies mm, is that the right word <laughs> there's a few words or bits of terminology, I should say, that we bat around, and I've sometimes got a bit confused, found myself a bit confused about what's the correct context to use these in. So we'll go through them. So what is diverticulosis? So it's the presence of diverticulum, but they are asymptomatic. What is diverticular disease? This is symptoms arising from the diverticulum. And then what is diverticulitis? So inflammation of the diverticulum. Perfect. So who is most at risk of diverticular disease? So generally you have an increased risk as you get older. Um, so 50% of those over 50 will have diverticulosis. 70% of those over 80 will have diverticulosis. Well, some of them will have diverticular disease, but most of them are asymptomatic. Men have it more than women, and it's more common in developed worlds. Do you know why? Because of our low fibre diets. So... How does diverticular disease present? So I'm thinking you might have rushed in there being like pain, um, diarrhea, those sorts of things. However, I want you to think about a nice structure to this answer. So I would say diverticular disease that it can present acutely or non-acutely. So non-acutely, it might be incidentally found on a CT scan and they're asymptomatic, so that would be your diverticulosis. 
Diverticular disease can present in an outpatient setting, not acutely. So it can present with sort of a change in bowel habits, patients feeling bloated, um, typically pellet-like stools. And then obviously we've all seen a hospital, but it can present acutely with diverticulitis or with uh, bleeding, diverticular bleeds. And that generally presents with acute pain in the left iliac fossa, often de described as sharp, worse with moving. Um, they're tender, perhaps with some local peritonism, and they might have some systemic upset. So how do we classify diverticulitis? So we classify it into simple slash uncomplicated or complicated. So what is complicated diverticulitis? So it's, I guess, maybe simply put, diverticulitis with a complication. So be that an abscess, and the patient may present with swinging temperatures, a palpable mass, and it can generally be managed with antibiotics. And what might they require, depending on the size? Drainage with radiology, yep. And it might present with perforation and peritonism. So that will require a lap laparotomy and resection. They can have fistulas, which is a result of um, a repeat inflammation of the wall. And then this can go on to create colovocycle fistulas, which might present with recurrent urinary tract infections, fecal like urine or pneumaturia, so bubbles in the urine. Or they can create colovaginal fistulas, which means patients may get fecal matter coming out of their vagina. They can all pre also present with strictures, and this can result in a large bowel obstruction and also requires a operation or a colectomy. So that's a nice way to summarise if you're handing over in the morning and you've got a patient who's had a CT scan overnight and they've got diverticulitis, no complications, which will come on to the staging of soon. But you can just say this patient has uncomplicated diverticulitis and your consultant goes yay we know that there's no none of this other stuff going on and it shows that you know your stuff so what investigations would be required for a patient if you suspected diverticular disease So obviously we'd get routine bloods, so you'd get inflammatory markers, um, use and ease. If they're bleeding, remember to get a coag. And mm, you may get x-rays, chest x-ray if you're concerned about perforation, abdominal x-ray if you're concerned about obstruction. But generally, realistically, we're going to get a CT, aren't we? So that, in the acute setting, will give you the answer as to the diagnosis and whether there's any associated complications. In an outpatient setting... Um, you, the patient may 
have a colonoscopy and generally about six to eight weeks after an acute episode a patient will have a colonoscopy to um, confirm the diagnosis if not already confirmed and to look for any underlying. So how is acute diverticulitis staged? So this is staged with the Hinchy classification and it is stage one to four. So stage one is divided up into A and B. So stage one A is the presence of a phlegma. Now this is just an inflammatory mass that is pericolic, um, whereas stage one B is the presence of a diverticulitis with the, in the presence of a pericolic or mesenteric abscess. Stage two is diverticulitis with a walled off pelvic abscess. Okay, so a sort of beyond just a pericolic abscess, but a pelvic abscess, but it's walled, it's contained. Stage three is diverticulitis with gemmalized purulent peritonitis. And then stage four is diverticulitis with gemmalized fecal peritonitis. So try and imagine how you know that progresses so you've got really local collection of infection and phlegmon and abscess and then your abscess spreads is in the pelvic but it's pelvis but it's still contained and then abscess bursts you've got purulent peritonitis and then you get your fecal peritonitis okay okay so how do we manage diverticular disease So we can split this up into what kind of presentation there are. So is it chronic diverticular disease with no infection and no bleeding? Just diverticular disease and they'll need analgesia and need fluids and perhaps to alter their diet. So generally increase the fibre in their diet. In the context of diverticular bleeds, generally they're conservatively managed. So you want to check their anticoagulants, you want to stabilise them. They might require blood products. In severe bleeding, they might require, well, one, an operation, or two, you'll need to get a CT angio to sort of confirm the site of the bleeding. And then in diverticulitis, that would require analgesia, often advise a bit of bowel rest, just taking it easy. Um, technically, they can eat and drink, but I think you'd always advise a patient to, to take it easy because it can exacerbate the pain. You'd give them antibiotics, IV fluids, and generally you, it resolves within about two to three days. Now, if your initial CT shows a complication, i.e. perforation or severe sepsis or obstruction, then this patient's going to need surgical management. Okay, so if that's first up, you're going to need to take them to theatre. Same as in the context of significant ongoing bleeding. You also need to think about deteriorating patients. So do you need to repeat a CT scan? Do they have they failed sort of conservative management and perhaps um, they have worsened so now need an operation so which procedure do you normally perform for diverticular perforation so a Hartman's procedure Hartman's procedure is simply a sigmoid colectomy 
with the formation of an end colostomy and then they can have a delayed reversal quite a bit down the line. Okay, so that's all I've really got to say about diverticular disease today. As I said, relatively short episode, um, but I think probably covered the main points, the salient points, and I hope you can add it to your list of things to tick off. Um, thanks for joining me again. It's a pleasure as always, and please do leave some feedback. Really grateful if you could do that. Okay, all the best. Bye-bye. Oh, well, a dim bone, dim bone, dim, dry bone.